Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Tomeek's Other Podcast. I'm Logan, and here with me today is uh, my psychiatrist, Andrew. So, Andrew, uh, I've been having these terrible nightmares where uh, Georgia Tech loses to a Mac team. What am I supposed to do about that? Alright, so first of all, I am not a licensed psychiatrist, so trusting me is a terrible decision. And B, unfortunately, Logan, that is not a nightmare. That is life. <laughs> that's, that's what actually happened, huh? We actually did 100% lose to a Mac team that went winless last year. Well, all right. Well, uh, maybe you should uh, prescribe me some antidepressant meds. I think that would be the best thing. Again, again, not a licensed doctor. Damn it. What good are you then, son of a bitch? I'm pretty much worthless. Oh, well, uh, we've all been there. I mean, you're probably, you have more worth than Jeff Collins. Oh, anyway. I'm trying to cover my pain with, with comedy. And it is not working. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, looking back on week one, I think there was a lot to enjoy for people who are not Georgia Tech fans and also not UNC fans. I think it's kind of fair to say there were a lot of surprises week one. Um, it's just tough for us because I think we got caught up in the one that affected us most directly. Uh, but uh, I will say that's, Kind of a lot of surprising upsets. Montana taking on Washington, Virginia Tech beating up on uh, beating up UNC. Although that was much closer competition, Iowa just destroyed Indiana. Uh, Georgia beat Clemson, uh, and then a lot of games that were closer than we probably thought, like Tulane and Oklahoma. But uh, right now we're just going to run down the teams that we're fans of. Uh, so. Andrew, I mean, where do you want to get started on Georgia Tech? Like, what did we do wrong? What, what, I hesitate to say what can we improve on because I feel like there's not really, you could, you could do anything and it would be an improvement at this point. I just need to understand how it's year three and we don't look any better. We've had a ton of roster turnover. We brought in guys in positions we said we need to bring in. And we don't look any better. You know, we're, we're playing a max school, which is, uh, you know, I don't want to take anything away from them. I don't know why they came to play and they won the game. But from a pure talent standpoint, this shouldn't have been a game. And Jeff Collins has sat here and beat the drum and rah, 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 rah about recruiting and elite talent and all that. I mean, what good is it if you can't coach it up? What good is it if the team just looks like they don't want to be there? They don't look prepared. They don't look ready to play. Jeff Sims, we talked about all season, got to get better at this, got to get better at that. Jeff Sims just looks lost. Didn't seem to put the ball where he needed to put it. Didn't really seem to, to understand a lot of what was going on. You could definitely see he got jittery a little bit. And you hate to see a kid get hurt, but you wonder if Yates doesn't come in, does it even get to be that close of a game? I Because the one thing that Yates was doing is, is he was putting the ball on the numbers. I mean, he 
just hitting guys where it needed to hit. Well, and I, that was, I mean, there's a whole lot to cover in this whole discussion. Um, but I do want to say, I mean, it looked like Yates was ready to start as soon as he got out there. Sims looked like, I don't know what practice he did in the offseason, but he seemed upset with his receivers. And I'm like, dude, you're missing them by five to ten feet each throw and then getting upset with them for running the wrong routes. Like, what? You can't do that. I don't know if that's a coaching thing or if that's just like a Sims knew he had the role thing, but it did not look good for Sims at all uh, out there. Sorry. I'm interrupted, but go ahead. Yeah. I was, uh, go ahead. The thing too is we, we got whipped up front on both sides of the line. And that's where you've got to see growth. That's where you've got to see development to get better. But we haven't. There's the team doesn't look significantly better than they have in the past. The problem is, I thought at times last year they did look better, and there was some growth. And so I'm wondering how how did we lose all of that with getting a full off season? You you figure you wouldn't have seen as much growth coming through a COVID off season where you didn't have spring ball, but you didn't have full fall camps, like you didn't have what you normally get to install and, and build, but they got that this year. And it didn't matter. It, it, we still look lost. The defense still can't generate any pressure. We we gave up a lot of yards on the ground, again, to a team that we should be more talented than. You know, it reminds me a lot of the Citadel game. It almost looks like we overlooked them. We expected to win this game. And so the team didn't prepare. We weren't ready. Uh, you know, I thought I heard somewhere in one of the post-game press conferences where uh, Collins said something about, you know, Northern Illinois came out and showed something that we didn't expect to see. And I remember seeing them run a lot of unbalanced. And my thought is, did you not install unbalanced checks or unbalanced adjustments in fall camp? That's where you would do your installs for stuff like that. I get not repping it maybe if you don't expect to see it, but it's still something that should be in your toolbox. And I wonder why it would have taken them so long to adjust to an unbalanced like that. Yeah. I mean, and I, I we talked about this before the cast. I don't know the ins and outs of coaching, but that seems like a pretty basic like thing that would come along with the job description. Like, just have something planned in case they run, you know, again, I don't know about unbalanced versus balanced, but, you know, if they run something unexpected, you know, maybe have some kind of plan drawn up just to be like, yeah, we don't expect it, but if they do run this, we'll, we'll have something installed. Like, if you're getting paid, I don't know, what is Jeff Collins getting paid? Like $3 million a year or something stupid? Yeah, like, if you're getting paid that much, like, you – What's what could it hurt to, to like be like yeah maybe they'll run something we don't expect them to run like God that is that is like just the thing that's, is if you're if you're a good coach you see it you make the adjustment after the first drive that you see it and you go all right here's our adjustment or you, again you know within your system and within 
what you want to do. Like you, you know how you're going to make that adjustment within the framework of your scheme. And I've really got a concern if there's nothing in the framework of the scheme to handle something like that. Like that's really, really concerning. Yeah. I mean, I've got a whole myriad of thoughts. I think also, you know, there were a lot of missed opportunities, a lot of opportunities where we went forward on fourth down, where it's kind of like, would it have been better? It seemed like Jeff Collins was even as we were getting to the point in the game where it's like, we're down. Maybe we should be treating this like a real opponent. He was kind of treating it like Clemson would treat an FCS, like an FCS team where it's just like, no, we don't need to worry about it. We'll, we'll just keep doing what we do and catch up. It's like, maybe you should kick a field goal like right there. Maybe instead of trying to go for it on fourth down at the 40, maybe you should punt and put them in a bad field position. Maybe going for a 59 or whatever yard field goal it is out on <laughs> out in the middle of the logo that maybe it would be better to just punt the ball instead of giving them great field position if your kicker who is untested uh, misses the field goal. I don't I don't know. These are but these are the things you're paid to figure out and think about in the game. And I mean hindsight's twenty twenty, but a lot of his decision making, it seemed like kind of the cocky decision making I would make if I was playing the NCAA game, where it's just like yeah, I mean, but I can always reset it and replay the game if I fuck up. So, and it's like, no, dude, this is real life. You're getting paid money to coach these guys, and you're making a joke out of the program, and it's a slap in the face. Ah, I, I don't know. I've got nothing but bad things to say about the whole scenario, really. I guess the one high point for me was Jameer Gibbs looked like who we thought he was. Uh, Jordan Yates came out, and I don't know if he was injured or not, but he looked fantastic in his game. Uh, and I guess, I mean, even though we lost, I mean, we outgained them and outfirst downed them in pretty much every way. It's just, you know, with all that said, we still lost. I mean, what do you, what do you want? One of the most concerning stats to me was we had zero sacks and one tackle for a loss, whereas Northern Illinois had four sacks and six tackles for loss. That, what, again, our offensive line should be better, should be significantly better. I don't understand why, and I get, you know, that's the big transformation when you're going from what Paul Johnson ran to what we're trying to run. I understand that. But we've replaced most of the offensive line with transfers that played in other systems, that, that know how to do other things. We've recruited guys that know how to do other things. I don't understand how we can still be so bad on the offensive line. We've gotten a lot of transfers on the defensive line. Still can't do anything. I, I just, I don't get, we're adding talent. You know, if you want to go uh, 24-7 sports, and you got to take this for what it's worth because recruiting is not an exact science. You know, it's it's not a way that you do it. But you can look at, they have a college team talent index, which is really based upon how many kids currently on the team were recruited 
team talent composite ranking. So the argument of, oh, we don't have any talent, oh, we blah, 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 blah. Well, when you look at the stuff that says what you got, it says you've got talent. So what the hell? Yeah, it's it's very concerning. And the sad truth is, and you've talked about this many times before, I mean, as much as I think the fans are going to be like firing, you can't. We can't afford to. We don't have that luxury. So, I mean, we're just going to have to ride this out, and there's nothing we can do. And that's the frustrating part, though, for me, because, you know, I want to see improvement. I, I want... Like, even if I hate Jeff Collins, I want to see improvement, at least from the team. But because we can't get rid of him, there's no real reason for him to put any more effort in. And so I'm seriously concerned about our future prospects here, uh, knowing all, keeping all that in mind. Um, I'm kind of like you. Like, I I don't like Jeff Collins. I'm not a fan of his rah-rah. I'm not a fan of, of the way he does things. But you know what? If he wins games, I don't care. Because to me, that's the thing. You're the head football coach. Your job is to win games. I'm getting a little tired of every single interview and every single press conference. All you talk about is, oh, they're elite. No, they're not. Like, get up somebody's ass. Like, I don't understand how... If he believes everything that's coming out of his mouth, then he's the most delusional person on the planet. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Well, it, it, it is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, I, I think that's what I have to come back to. He, he is delusional. He just seems to really think these things that are coming out of his mouth, and they're not accurate. ESPN keeps shooting me ads. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> But yeah, no, I mean, it's it's just like, it drives me nuts that, you know, he says, he talks a, such a big game, and he seems to really, like, okay, so I, I talked about it before, and I guess we have another section where I'm probably going to talk about it again, but there was that moment where, in the second half, we're still down by a touchdown, 14-7. We're on, like, the three-yard line uh, in the third quarter. And he has the field goal unit come out there, and the fans start booing. And he decides to take a timeout to replace the kicking unit and bring out the normal teams to go for it. Now, I don't know what you thought of that, but to me, that's like his ego took over, and he's like, no, the fans are right. Why shouldn't we go for it here we're a better team, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, have you looked at the scoreboard? You're not a better team. Take the points and see if you can salvage the rest of this game. Like, don't – you're not fucking Clemson. Sorry. Like, I don't know what you thought of that moment, but that was right where I just – the game just lost my interest because I was just like, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. He's completely out the door. And if nothing else, we need that timeout if we didn't need the points. Gosh. All right. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know if you had yeah, that was that was just embarrassing. I mean, to me, that shows a coach, A, who doesn't care about the analytics, and, and B, cares almost more about perception and how he's viewed than anything else, which is arguably worse, and I think 
still losing, no one's going to take you seriously. Yeah. I don't know. I wish I had something positive to end on. I feel bad for the players who are going to have to deal with this. And I I feel bad to, for the fans to an extent. I think the fans are in a situation where they're probably, the older ones especially, are probably used to it by now. But, you know, I just feel bad for the players. Because as you said, we've got some talented players who have come here to bring this program back. And what they're getting in return is, at least from my perception, a coach who doesn't seem to know what he's doing. And it, and it's so sucks. I, I had this realization today, and I was thinking about it. Uh, in my lifetime as a Georgia Tech fan, I've seen a bit of an anomaly where I was too young for the early Bobby Ross years when we were really bad. I kind of remember the national title. I was four years old. Uh, I don't remember a lot of the Bill Lewis years when we were really bad from 92 through 95 I do remember a lot of the George O'Leary years I remember the really good George O'Leary years and then I remember Tech making the bowl game from every year from 1998 through 2015 so like in our lifetimes we really didn't see a Georgia Tech team that is this bad that, that loses at this clip it doesn't make a bowl game. I mean, yeah, we haven't seen a lot of wins against Georgia, but that is what it is. You know, we're used to Tech at least winning six games and going to a bowl game. You know, this is a depth that, you know, the last time Tech was this bad, I was six years old. Yeah. And, I mean, it's tough, man. I mean... I, I know that teams go through ups and downs, but it's just, it's so frustrating to see it. And I know there's other mitigating factors that play into it, but, I'm, you know, we are traditionally not this type of program where we just are, I guess, for lack of a better term, like not, usually we, we, we have ups and downs, but we have like, good times, bad times, but we're always kind of in it in some way or shape. In the, I, past, in the past few years, I just feel like we haven't been competitive at all. It's like, uh, Do you remember the fun stat that we were talking about before where, uh, let's see if I can find it again to make sure that I read this right, where I believe Jeff Collins is 6-17 and 17 over his two years in the game at Georgia Tech. And how many of those... Yeah, do you need me to do the little walk in? How many right, of those so how many of those losses are by single digits, Andrew? So Jeff Collins is six and seventeen in his time at Georgia Tech. Fourteen of those losses are by at least two scores, and eleven of those losses are by at least three scores. So Jeff Collins isn't just losing. Jeff Collins is getting wrecked pretty consistently. So the other thing we really need to be concerned about is Georgia Tech's not a school with a lot of money. We're also a very fickle fan base attendance-wise. Attendance wasn't great for the opener against NIU. I got a feeling attendance next week against Kennesaw is not going to be great. It's also a noon game. And then if, if we fuck around and lose to Kennesaw, 
we may have less than 15,000 people in the bins for the game against North Carolina. So I will say, um, and this, I didn't really think about this, but I will say, the Kennesaw game might have better attendance than we think, just because it's Kennesaw. Be Kennesaw State fans. And they're, and they're right down, yeah, exactly, and they're right down the road. It's like, yeah, so that might be a thing. Which, which how embarrassing would that be for Kennesaw State fans to take over our stadium? Uh, yeah. Look, man, I don't, I don't have a lot of extra stuff to say about the situation. Uh, I think this was basic. This turned from a podcast into a venting session. So uh, before we kind of completely lose it, let's just move on. We got a few other teams to talk about. Um, I went ahead and pulled up the stats. So next up on the list, your favorite team and mine, the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, just rolled over Miami. I mean. Miami technically scored 13 points, but i pretty I'm pretty sure those were, like, on mistakes, essentially, uh, by the Alabama defense. Um, Alabama just looked really good. I mean, maybe your one weakness being that they didn't have as proficient a running game as they normally did, but Bryce Young was 27 for 38, 344 yards through the air, uh, four touchdowns. It's pretty darn good. Uh, Derek King, on the other hand, 23 for 31, which is not bad. Only 178 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. Uh, the opposite. So, yeah, Alabama looks really good. If you want to if you want to get back on that bandwagon, Andrew. Man, Bryce, you have to look like a grown man. Oh, good boy. Kid's a true freshman. That's. Shout out I want to give to is um, Cameron Latou, the tight end, uh, who they were saying in the broadcast was a converted linebacker. Uh, three catches, 43 yards, two touchdowns. So that's got to be really cool for a guy to kind of get some of his first first playing time as a junior and, and score two touchdowns. Yeah, that's, he's, that's pretty neat. He's, oh, no. He's averaging like 14 yards a. Uh... And reception. That's really good for him as a converted linebacker. Oh man! So he's got to have good. I think. I think. I think the Tide's main tight end, Julio Billingsley, was hurt. Oh, uh, okay, that makes sense. I think. Yeah, I think the only real. So I'll, I'll be honest. I was on a date while this game was going on, but um, I think the only real play I remember was I think Roydell Williams lost the ball. And, and Saban got so pissed off with him. they Like, they even got the ball back, but they Saban was just so pissed that he lost it at all that he kicked him out of the game for, like, a drive. And I was just like, yeah, that's the epitome. That's, like, the attitude a coach should have. Get If you're not going to hold on to the ball, you shouldn't be on the field. Um, yeah. No, I can't really argue with that. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think uh, – I think Alabama's going to be uh, a competitor. I know this is uh, crazy talk. This is a shock. <laughs> oh, no. They have to play Mercer next week. Poor Mercer. Ooh, that week three game at Florida will be a pretty good one. Should be interesting. I didn't actually watch the Florida game. Um, they, they won big. I mean, I didn't pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah. So, speaking of another game I didn't watch, uh, let's talk about, since Artem's not here, let's talk about Kent State at Texas a and so, Texas A&M, uh, it was surprisingly close uh, for the first half. I think we discussed it, but 
going into the half, it was 10 Texas A&M, Kent 3. 10 to 3. Um, but once the second half rolled around, I think Texas A&M figured something out. Part of that had to do with their freshman quarterback, Haynes King. Because uh, on the day, his numbers weren't bad. But if the key one that will stand out to everybody is he had three interceptions, which is not a good look. Um, on the plus side, their run game was fantastic. Uh, Devin Akane and Isaiah Spiller both combined for – they both ran for 100 yards. They combined for like 200 Akane was averaging 10 yards a rush, which is just fucking great. Uh, um, so, yeah, I think Texas A&M, I think they're – it looks like their freshman quarterback is going to have to prove himself down the line. But, I mean, granted it was against Kent State, so I don't think their defense is going to be mind-blowing. But I think you kind of got to like what you're seeing, at least from the run game and probably from the O-line if these numbers – are reflective of how good the blocking is up front. So, we'll see. I, I mean, again, this is another game I wasn't able to watch. I was distracted by how bad Georgia Tech was. Any thoughts, Andrew? Yeah, I mean, they look good. They did what they were supposed to do. They came in and they they, they beat a team that a lot of people really consider the, the cream of the back, the team that's going to really compete to win that conference this year, so... But, you know, there's just such a difference in talent between the two. That's fair. Speaking of talent differences, so the other game that I personally want to look at, and I'm going to let Andrew pick one uh, on the other side, I I wanted to look at UCLA, who I kind of doubted coming into last week. I think I gave them some – I mean, I picked UCLA, but I was kind of throwing it out there as like a – low expectation kind of like maybe they will maybe they won't for my personal pick and they blew my expectations away they beat lsu by 11 points and what surprised me was how they did it i mean so dorian thompson robinson only threw uh 16 passes and he completed nine of them for 260 yards three touchdowns and one interception so he hardly threw the ball at all but on the ground they put up 210 rushing yards against an LSU defense, which, you know, has traditionally been good. Um, kind of disappointing this year. LSU, on the other hand, and maybe this is what cost them, they seem to really only focus on the passing game. Uh, they got 330 yards from Max Johnson. Uh, three touchdowns, but I think really what you're looking at, the completion attention ratio uh, 26 completions on 46 attempts. Not great. Meanwhile, they only put up 49 yards on the ground, which, and I mean, uh, I, I can't give you all the information because, again, I wasn't watching it, but to me it looks like UCLA was really up in their game on defense, and I think they put a lot of thought into how to approach this and make sure that they were getting the best utility out of their players and making sure that just because we have a good quarterback doesn't mean that we should be using him for all these plays. We should probably be focusing on running the ball against this defense. Clearly they saw something they liked and they are taking advantage of it. So I think this in many ways makes UCLA a very key team to watch out for down the line. Um, 
I, I don't know. Andrew, do you have any thoughts on that? I didn't get a chance to watch it. I think next week will be an interesting game where UCLA, or no, two weeks, uh, UCLA is off next week. They play Fresno State, who is in a pretty big dogfight with Oregon that I don't think anyone expected. So that'll be kind of interesting to see if UCLA is actually good. Uh, you know, we were all kind of jumped off the Chip Kelly bandwagon. He struggled his first two years, so maybe he's been able to put something together, but we'll just kind of have to wait and see. So does that mean you're kind of just still not really sure with what LSU brought to the table if this was a significant? Yeah, yeah LSU's had a lot of struggles. They struggled a lot last year. It, it's almost starting to look like their national title was more Joe Burrow and Joe Brady than necessarily anything else. Yeah, well, and it seems like uh, it might be that the loss of the offensive coordinator, um, like we talked about, I forget his name. You've brought him up multiple times, uh, has had an impact on their strategy. If they're just selling out on throwing the pass every every single down. Um, all right. So, do you have any other teams you want to kind of talk about before we move on uh, to our highlights uh, of the week? Just, just real quick, Army blew out Georgia State. Army looked really good. Uh, Navy got blown out by Marshall. Navy has not looked very good. Navy has not. Then, Navy has not recovered from what they did uh, last year. I was kind of hoping they would. Niamamato Tololo would uh, get his uh, ship back in order, but I don't know what's going on over there. They they haven't been able to put it back together. I guess. Yeah, they're really struggling. Uh, Coastal Carolina beat Citadel pretty handily. I'm a big Coastal Carolina fan. But the game that I want to talk about, and I actually forgot about this until I was reading about it earlier today. So, and this is a way deep dive. So, fans, if you're listening, just be ready. The Presbyterian Blue Hoes beat a team called St. Andrews that I've never heard of 84 to 43. The starting quarterback for Presbyterian named Ren Hefley was 38 of 50 for 538 yards and 10 touchdowns. That's a... The reason I want to highlight this game is because this game, the head coach at Presbyterian is a guy named Kevin Kelly. And some of our listeners may know Kevin Kelly was the head coach a high school head coach in Arkansas at Pulaski Academy from 2003 through 2020. Oh, it's this guy? Kelly, yes. And see, Kelly came to prominence because he almost never punts, always goes for fourth down, always onside kicks unless his team is up by more than 21 points, and always goes for two-point conversions. His record at Pulaski Academy, 216 and 29. So he played in 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 Arkansas State title games, winning 9 of them. He was hired by Presbyterian in May of this year. Scored 84 points. <laughs> they threw the ball 
61 times. They ran the ball 33 times, average of 5.8 yards per carry. I am super excited to follow this Presbyterian team for the remainder of the year. They play in the Pioneer League, which is FCS, but it's FCS non-scholarship, which makes it even more fascinating because it's not scholarship. Like These guys aren't getting scholarships to do this stuff. So I'm really excited to see where this goes because I love different. I love coaches doing crazy cool things, and I'm glad that someone hired this guy and gave him a chance. And I'm really excited to see what he can do at Presbyterian. Can you? I don't know if you even have this information, but can you give us like a list of potential games that we could look out for for this team? I mean. Uh, they play Campbell in two weeks, which will be an interesting game because Campbell was in the Pioneer League but is no longer. And so Campbell is now scholarship program. So that'll be a huge challenge. I believe, uh, I think Davidson is the defending Pioneer League champion. And they play Davidson on the 16th of October which will be a pretty interesting game. So let me double check that and see who won the Pioneer League last year, if they even played last year. They did not play last year. There's a lot to look at. San Diego's the defending in 2019, so. Okay, so it'll be interesting. They are eligible for the FCS playoffs, though. So if they wreck shop, I think they will get an invite. I'm going to be keeping an eye out for that because I'm actually interested to see, like, look, I mean, I'm not going to I'm not gonna say, like, I'm a fan of the guy just from hearing about him, but I am a fan of when these creative coaches, for lack of a better term, get out there and actually prove that, you know, just because I'm doing something weird doesn't mean it doesn't work. And he set a record on the first game with Presbyterian. That's crazy. Uh, good for him. Uh, I mean, the neat thing is he's, he's apparently very, very analytics-focused and very data-driven in what he wants to do. Uh, you know, I know the media, he says, Kelly considers his offensive philosophy intermediate, which he defines as geared heavily toward mid-range passes in front of the safeties with a high percentage of plays designed to generate yards after the catch. You know, the intermediate offense defines what Kelly considers the two hardest things to do in football, play pass coverage and tackle in space. He estimates that if a quarterback can throw 40 yards, that leaves seven men guarding an area that's 52 yards wide and 40 yards deep. That's 2,000 square yards that seven guys have to defend. That's almost 30 square yards. You know how hard it is? (laughs) So I am here for this guy. I am going to pay attention to what he does, and I hope he's really successful. Because, again, like I love weird coaches doing weird things. Definitely. Well, I'm really excited about that. Um, before we get into our picks for week two, do you have any memorable moments that you want to make note of from week one? Uh, I think you got a lot of moments that you probably want to forget, but do you have any ones that you want to remember? Not that I can really think of. I watched a bunch. I had a bunch of games on. I didn't watch a lot of them. You know, Army dominating Georgia State was pretty cool. 
So, I mean, I know you're not going to want to say this because you live in a UNC household. Um, the two ones that stick in my mind was just, first off, not the game itself, but when they did the shot of all the fans returning to the stadium that Thursday night at Virginia Tech, and I was just like, holy crap, that is a turnout. <laughs> like, I was not – I don't know what I was expecting, but I, the fact that they had that many people in the stands, I mean, I'm sure, obviously, you know, COVID's a concern, and I feel those people need to be doing all the safety stuff, but I was just shocked. I was like, you know, assuming all those people are vaccinated, assuming all them following the procedures, like, that's crazy to see that many people in the stands. Like, we're back to full capacity. It's crazy. I mean, the two things that help is, Blacksburg, there's absolutely nothing in Blacksburg. And, I mean, Virginia Tech's a football mad program. Like, they've always had. I mean, you saw the same thing in the in the Wisconsin Penn uh, State. Yeah. Well, and that was the other one I wanted to bring up was, uh, and I just, this is something that I want to see more from the TV announcers. Uh, Fox uh, despite not being the major distributor, I think does a better job nowadays at doing some of their coverage stuff. Uh, and this was probably my favorite part where they just, they didn't even, they came back from a commercial and they didn't even announce anything. They didn't say anything. They just had a shot, bunch of shots of the stadium. The announcers didn't say a damn thing. And you could hear all the fans going at it at the start of the third quarter where they were doing their little up and down ritual and everybody's jumping you see the people on the sideline jumping, and I was like, damn, that makes me want to go back. This is what I love about college football. This is why I want to be back in the stadium. I want to see more of this, not any of the analytical yada, yada, yada crap. That's why I basically turn off the volume on most football games anyway. So I, I was really cool to see the pageantry return and just see the people return. And to me, that's what's going to stand out uh, more so than uh, – all the terrible things that happened with Georgia Tech. So, uh, any other thoughts before we move on to uh, the picks for this week? Oh, man. Man, really helps to have Artem to be all creative and shit. Um, all right. Well, you know, he went to a school that's good at football and cheers for a school that's good at football. We, on the other hand, did not. Yes, we just, we're just depressed all the time. I, I, I can't work without his endless optimism. Uh, anyway. Oh, also a big shout out to uh, UT San Antonio beating Illinois. Oh, yeah. Like, Illinois going to a bowl game take is not going <laughs> to... Not, not going to pan out. out. <laughs> so, speaking of your takes. So, looking back at last week, neither none of us had a really great one. I think uh, I went five and five somehow. I think because my Penn State pick over Wisconsin really made the difference there. Uh, although I did also pick Boise State over UCF, which was so close, but not quite. Uh, I thought Boise State won that game. No, UCF came back. Boise State had a big lead, but UCF came back. Uh, Andrew, so I was five and five. Andrew, you were four and six, and currently. Ugh. Notre Dame and FSU are playing. So currently Artem is three and six, but he's probably going to be four and six by the end of the night, unless FSU can pull an upset. Um, so 
with that in mind, I'm going to have to get Artem's picks later. But uh, to start off the week, we're going to pick uh, the Stanford at USC game. So uh, USC going uh, staying at home and was one of the few successful Pac-10 team, Pac-12 teams last week, uh, getting a win against San Jose State. Uh, Stanford's going on the road, and obviously this is normally a rivalry game, but I think the past few years Stanford has not matched up as strongly. Uh, I'm taking USC. I just think that they were already one of the better teams in the Pac-12 going into this year, and I just don't think Stanford matches up well against them, at least not in terms of talent. Andrew, who do you got? I'm going to pick USC as well. Stanford's really struggling, and got so used to them being at least pretty decent under David Shaw, and now I know what's fallen off, but they just have not looked good the past couple of years, and coming out and getting kind of last week Kansas State last week really didn't help, and USC looks pretty good, they didn't play, you know, they beat San Jose State, who's great, but you know, they're a decent team, so I'm, I'm definitely going to go with the Trojans on this one, I just, I think the time of good Stanford might be coming to an end. Yeah, that's that's fair. Well, these things cycle. So next up, we've got two SEC teams going on a matchup. We've got Mizzou going on the road to Kentucky. So both teams had some challenges. I think early on last week, Kentucky struggled with UL Monroe, but ended up putting the game away 45-10. to 10. Missouri got Central Michigan at home, which is arguably a better team. They ended up winning 34-24. So both teams are in the East. Uh, both teams have kinda, are kind of on the lower tier. They're not Florida and they're not Georgia, but they are still potentially in bowl contention. Uh, I think I'm going to give the edge to Kentucky, A, because they're at home, and B, I think they have got a better feel for what they want to do on offense, whereas Mizzou seems to still be kind of figuring out what they're capable of. Andrew, who do you have in this matchup? Yeah, I think I'm going to take Kentucky. If I remember correctly, Mizzou is still kind of breaking in Eli Frankwitz in his first full season as an head coach after the COVID issues. So I think he's still a little young, a little wet behind the ears there. It's at Kentucky, but I think he's going to give them an advantage. And I think they look really good this weekend against, I mean, obviously, a UL Monroe team that's, that's had a lot of trouble the past couple of years, but yeah, I think, I think Stutes has actually done a really good job of getting Kentucky to kind of that second tier in the East. You know, you've got Florida, Georgia, who they are, where they are, but then that, I think there's a big fight for who's going to kind of be that next team, and I think Kentucky has done a good job at making the case to be that team. Tennessee's down. South Carolina just went through a coaching change. Missouri's kind of been and, and Vanderbilt just got blown out by East Tennessee State, so. Yeah, so, I mean, the East is not exactly, and we've talked about this, not the strongest place either, yeah. so. Um, all right, so both of us got Kentucky. I think that's fair. Um, next up is the neutral site matchup. Texas A&M, I guess, technically going on the road to Denver uh, against Colorado. Technically a neutral site, but obviously I think this is more of a home field for Colorado. Uh, 
I'm I'm not going to overcomplicate this though. Uh, Texas A and M is the number six team in the country. I'm just going to say they probably win it. Colorado is going to be pretty overmatched talent wise. I I don't think the home field advantage is going to change much. Yeah, A&M wins this, not even close. Colorado sucks. <laughs> there you go. All righty. So next up, a closer one, potentially Pitt going on the road to Tennessee. Pitt uh, absolutely demolished UMass this week. Granted, it was UMass, but Pitt uh, did everything I wanted Jeff Collins to do and just continued to take it to him. Uh, Tennessee, I'll be honest, I didn't even see the Tennessee matchup this week if there was one. Uh, but uh, Maybe Bowling Green 38-6. Okay, so pretty good. I think, oh, that's why, because it was a Thursday matchup. Um, yeah, I mean, Tennessee's a program that has struggled a lot in the past. I think that beating an ACC opponent, potentially a rival, I don't think these guys are really rivals, but there's been a lot of talk about that. Um is uh, would be a long way to kind of establishing a baseline for Tennessee in the future. Uh, but I think right now I am actually going to go with Pitt just because Tennessee has been so out of sorts over the past few years. And I, I have a hard time having faith in any of their coaching decisions or any of their coaching in general, really. So I'm going to go with Pitt to go in and take the win from Tennessee. I'm going to disagree and take Tennessee because I don't trust Kenny Pickett and Pitt. He is the most Jekyll and Hyde quarterback I think I've ever seen. And we got good Kenny Pickett last week against UMass, which UMass isn't very good. So I think we're almost ready for a bad Kenny Pickett. I'm also really interested to see what Josh Heupel does on offense in Tennessee. They've got the, the Michigan transfer, Joe Milton, who played a pretty good game in his first game for the Volunteers. So let's just see how much of that offense he really understands. And it's going to be a hurry-up, so it'll be interesting to see how, how Pitt handles that tempo and, and how Pitt really kind of deals with with that offense that, that I'm not sure they see that much of. Gotcha. Yeah, it will, if, if Tennessee does win, I'll give them something to cheer about until they lose uh, all their SEC games. Um. Next up on the list, so one that I put on here for Andrew, Buffalo going on the road to Nebraska. Um, I think people are really tempted to write off Nebraska after their really ugly start of the year um, against Illinois. Uh, but Nebraska is still favored in this matchup by 12 points, and they're getting the 63% whatever by ESPN to win the game. So... Nebraska's still favored. They're getting Buffalo at home. Uh, I, it's tough for me because I, I don't really know much about either of these teams other than watching Nebraska lose against Illinois, and that was an ugly loss. I guess I'll pick Nebraska. I, I don't really have a lot of faith in this pick, but I, I think – People seem to know something, and they clearly bounced back last week, put up a lot of good yards. Granted, it was against Fordham. Uh, so, I mean, we'll see. Maybe being at home in uh, 
Omaha or uh, we'll uh, get get things back in order for them. Or sorry, Lincoln. My apologies, Lincoln. Why did I say Omaha? It's the only other city I know in Nebraska. Anyway, Andrew, who you got? same time yeah i'm in the same boat like i'm only picking nebraska because it's very close all right next up on the list so we got the number we got the holy war between utah utes and the byu cougars so utah's going on the road they're seven point favorite um and byu has traditionally as in the past had the better program because they've had the better quarterback this year they're going without, and their first showing against Arizona was not fantastic. Uh, I mean, they still won. They only won by eight points, but they, they did win, and I think that's the key takeaway. Uh, Utah got a pretty easy game against Weber, and they destroyed them 40-17. to um, Weber. Uh, Weber State. Weber State. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sure. Which actually, Weber State's a Weber State's a pretty good FCS program. I oh, this is a tough one too. I I don't know. Do I trust BYU without their quarterback? Uh, I'm not sure. Well, admit no. This is just okay. This is just ESPN causing problems because they're the BYU stats are corrupted or something. Because I can't. Um, yeah. So I don't know for certain. All the stats are gone. But anyway, um, I. You know what? I'll take BYU. Sure. Let's let's go with that. I'm gonna roll it on BYU. They've been doing better the past few years, and I, I think that uh, despite my problems with Brigham Young as a person, he has. His program has developed a very good football team, so I will let them roll with it. Who do you got, Andrew? I think I'm going to go with the Utes. I trust Kyle Whittingham a lot. He's put together a really, really good program at Utah. They play really good defense. And I just think that they've got the talent. Charlie Brewer, I believe a Baylor transfer, played pretty well in the opening game against Weaver. And I just think that there's, there's more for Utah on the table. Than there necessarily is BYU. I also hate that this game kicks off at 10 p.m. I know, right? Thanks, thanks, West Coast time. 10 15 on ESPN. Yay. So is, so is, yeah, I'm going to go with Utah. Alrighty. Next up, so I'm not going to overcomplicate this again. Air Force at Navy. If you listen to us, if you listen to Andrew earlier, uh, Navy did bad, uh, Air Force did good. 
I'm sorry, Navy. I, I really like you and I like your coach, but I'm going to have to pick Air Force just because I think they're going to win this matchup, and I don't expect it to be close until Navy can figure out whatever these problems are that are making them struggle as much as they are. Uh, Andrew, who do you got? Yeah, I think I'm going to have to take the Sammies on this one just because I don't know what's happening with Navy. Niamatololos has really had some struggles the past couple of years. I, I think he's had issues at quarterback, which has been which is a huge thing when, when you're running that kind of offense. That's something that they really need to, to try to get sorted out. But unfortunately, I think I think the Zoomies are, are going to take this one, even though it is in Annapolis at Navy Breed Four Stadium. Yeah, I I just don't I don't see a way with Navy. Navy's just falling apart the past few years, and I don't know what's causing it, and I don't know what they can do to fix it. Uh, uh, all right, next up, Oregon at Ohio State. So this is going to be my dumb pick for the week, but obviously Ohio State had their struggles last week. Um, but is still clearly the favorite and clearly one of the potential runners for the playoffs. Whereas Oregon struggled against Fresno State. Um, now, I will say Fresno State is a better team than I think people give them credit for. So I don't know that you know struggling against Fresno State is as bad as people make it out to be. But this is still going to be a tough game going on the road to Ohio State um, at noon, which is going to be like, what, 9 a.m. for the Ducks, probably? Yeah. Um, so this is not this is not going to be the easiest matchup for them. With all that said, um, you know what? I am going to – if there's somebody I'm going to bet on to beat Ohio State, I think this is the matchup that it happens. If you look at how they struggled against Minnesota last week, I think there is the potential for a good upset along the road for Ohio State. Um, this is obviously a dumb pick. I really shouldn't be doing this. But I think Oregon has the talent to upset them, so I am going to take a risk and say that Oregon finds a way to win this game somehow. All right, Andrew, tell me why you're picking Ohio State. Because uh, they're really, really, really good at this whole football thing. Man. I also didn't realize that Oregon's starting quarterback is Boston College transfer Anthony Brown. Uh, that doesn't make me feel any better. I thought, so, I thought their starting quarterback was C.J. Stroud. No, that's Ohio State's. Oh, yeah. oh Oregon's is Anthony Brown. A transfer from Boston College. Stroud looked pretty damn good. <laughs> Yeah, he looked. Ryan Williams looked pretty damn good. Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson looked pretty damn good. So yeah, I'm going to pick Ohio State, and I think a coach that people need to keep an eye on is Ohio State quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator, who's I just forgot his name. He played wide receiver for us at Georgia Tech, uh, so I think he's a guy that obviously put together a good offense up there. So that's definitely a name to look at. If we can remember what his name is. I know. I can't believe what I can't remember his name. Like, I... Oh, it's so bothersome. Or he's the quarterback's coach. He's not the offensive coordinator. Okay. 
Uh, well, while you think of that, while you think of that, I'm going to go ahead and roll into my, uh, personal pick for the week. Uh, this is another dumb personal pick. Um, but I've been asked to talk about ECU. Uh, ECU actually has an interesting matchup this week. Not that last week's wasn't. Corey Dennis. Corey Dennis? Is that his name? Corey Dennis. Yeah, he's a quarterback's coach at Ohio State. Oh, really? Good. Yeah, played wide receiver for us at 10. Good for him. He's making a move up in the world. Yeah, uh, he's, he's definitely a guy who, who I think is a, a guy to look at. Maybe not in the next two or three years, but as a guy who's, who's obviously done a pretty good job with obviously a lot of talent given to him, which helps. But I think he's a guy who Okay. Well, back to the thing. Ah, so the short the short version is South Carolina's going on the road to ECU, and ECU put up a good fight last week against App State. They didn't end up winning, but uh, they did put up a lot of yards and they did score a fair bit. Uh, South Carolina's coming off a big win against. Is it Eastern Illinois? I don't know who this is. Yeah, Eastern Illinois. Yeah, when they, I thought they started a graduate assistant quarterback. <laughs> yeah, and that might <laughs> that that might have something to do with why currently ECU is favored to win this game by two whole points. Um, is it in Greenville? It is. It's in Greenville. So this is an interesting one. Um, I'm definitely going with my heart on this one and not my head because everything in me is screaming that it doesn't make sense to pick against an SEC team. But you know what? Uh, I think the opportunity is right that (laughs) South Carolina drops one and ECU picks up a big upset win that makes everybody in Greenville party all night because that is the party school down here. All Oh, yeah. Um, so, big an ECU. We'll see how that actually plays out. Andrew, who do you got for your personal pick? All right, so I wanted to pick the Kansas-Coastal Carolina game, but I feel like that's unfair because Coastal's a 27-point favorite. <laughs> yes. And Kansas, Kansas almost lost to an FCS school again this weekend. You know, so, I, I you, you could – you could still pick the uh, gosh, uh, what was the? Sorry, give me a second. I will, go ahead, do your spiel. I was going to say something, but good so thing. I really wanted to pick that game, but I feel like that's too much of a layup. Uh, and I love Coastal Carolina, big Coastal Carolina fan. So I think I'm going to pick Mississippi State to beat NC State. NC State's a two-point favorite on the road in Starkville. But I I think Mike Leach has the guys to do what it's done, and I don't I don't know if NC State knows what they're walking into. I'm kind of surprised that NC State is the favorites in that one. Like, did Mississippi State fall off? They weren't bad, uh, certainly. And then, uh, they had to, they barely beat Louisiana Tech, which to be fair, Louisiana Tech's a pretty good team, so yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't, I don't think that knocks them down that much. But uh, I was gonna say earlier though, like you could still pick uh, UConn to lose to whoever they're playing this week. 
and that would have been a. Do you fun. see? Do you see that their uh, their head coach is either like just retired like today, or he's retired and now he's retiring again the season. Oh, uh, I did not see that, but I am not surprised. They are playing Purdue. Purdue is the thirty-three and a half point favorite. Ooh, Jesus <laughs> That's a bad sign, bro. Oh, that is no bueno, my <laughs> no, no bueno. Um, and we'll have to get Artem's pick later for his personal pick. But uh, that moves us on to our final pick of the week: El Asico at Iowa at Iowa State. Which has really not followed its namesake recently because both these teams have been very good. Iowa absolutely demolished Indiana last week. And uh, despite some struggles, uh, I think most people are kind of writing off the fact that Iowa State did struggle a little bit against uh, Northern Iowa. It's it's just kind of... It's uh, sometimes you struggle a little bit, and I do think they are a better FCS program than people give them credit for. Um, but yeah, I think both of these teams are looking to prove something. It's a big rivalry game. Uh, for Iowa State, it'll mean a lot in the Big 12. For Iowa, it means a lot for their playoff chances. Um, and I don't know. This, is, this could be a premier matchup this week if both teams come to play. Right now, Iowa State is favored by three and a half points um, in the matchup. So it'll be interesting. I think the other thing to keep in mind is it seems like most of Iowa's gain, gains on the in the offensive board were on the ground last week. And despite struggling, Iowa State excelled at rush defense. They kept uh, Northern Illinois to, or Northern Iowa to uh, 45 rushing yards, although they allowed 230 through the air. So, you know, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, any thoughts before the pick, Andrew? Well, the coin flip did me wrong last week because the coin flip supported Indiana, and we saw how that did. So, I'm not going to flip the coin this time. Uh, I'm going to pick the Hawkeyes because... I, they're better than I thought they would be. I think this will be a really low-down, slobber-knocker-type game. Both teams will try to establish the run and play good defense. So, and maybe a game where you set like the time over-under in like, three hours, pick the under. But yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Hawkeyes, just because let's see if they make me look dumb two weeks in a row. They probably will. This one's upsetting for me, because like, Normally, I would just be like, Iowa State's the underdog, and I want to see them win because they don't win very much. So it's kind of got that, like, Georgia Tech feel where it's like they're the underdogs to uh, uh, Iowa even when they're ranked higher, which they are this year. But Iowa's got so much riding on the potential of, like, being a contender in the Big Ten that I kind of want to see them, like, just run the table. Uh, this is tough. Both teams are very good. You know what? I, I got to go with Iowa State, though. I think uh, Purdy at quarterback is kind of a better quarterback than uh, Spencer Petrus at Iowa. And I think at the end of the day, that will probably end up being the difference. That are turnovers. 
Um, so with the home field advantage and with the better quarterback, I think Iowa State will find a way to take this matchup. Theoretically. Ears open. <laughs> All right. Well, that's uh, what I'll be watching this weekend because I'm not going to watch us lose to Ken- Kennesaw State. <laughs> Andrew, you got anything to, before we yeah, wrap up? I don't, think, I don't even think I can watch the Kennesaw State game because it's a little bit regional sports network and I don't think Also, uh, my dad's coming up to visit this weekend, so we'll be doing a ton of housework. So I'm not sure how much football I get to watch this weekend, which may be for the best. Might be a blessing in this. Maybe Edsel's retiring at the end of the season from UConn. He's not retiring immediately. Okay, good, good. Like, come uh, on. Also, in the weird, weird world of international soccer, uh, Morocco was supposed to play Guinea in a World Cup qualifier, but the game was canceled due to a coup d'état in Guinea. Whoa. Uh... How does that happen? How does that work, rather, I guess? Um, I, I guess maybe it'll be rescheduled or something. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah, apparently Morocco was in the capital city getting ready to play. And there was a good... Well, I'm, not, I'm like, does Guinea have to forfeit? Like, what? I, I don't know. Do they hold the Moroccans hostage? I don't think... Actually, so another fun international soccer event. Brazil, Argentina were supposed to play today in a Commonwealth World Cup qualifier, but the game was abandoned due to Brazilian officials attempting to arrest four of the Argentine players for lying on an affidavit when they entered the country. Uh, okay. So lie, and this is the funny part, is it's four Argentine players who played for Premier League squads, they signed a paper saying, no, we have not been to the United Kingdom the last two weeks. Even though last weekend, they all played the they, Premier League. They were in the Premier League. <laughs> On TV, playing. What? <laughs> I just, I think those two countries just don't get along in general, right? No, they, they absolutely don't. But I just, oh man, this, this is just nuts. The whole thing has me baffled. Uh, we're definitely... You know, human culture is just falling apart slowly. The U.S. just drew Canada today, so. Oh, great. So uh, we get to lose to Canada? Actually, how good no, is... No, we, we drew them. We didn't lose. Oh, I see. I thought you meant drew them as like a playoff or a yeah, no, play-in we, opponent. we tied one-to-one, uh, so. Yeah. Okay, yeah. We played them to a draw. Yes, I got to a draw, yeah. No, I got it. Um, and we play Honduras on three days on the eighth. Yeah, on Wednesday. So, what are our actual prospects there? We should qualify. Like, there. I'm sorry, the United States should never not qualify for the Cup. But fortunately, it looks like everyone else except Mexico is, is drawing. So we're not getting. So we're not getting blown away. By anybody yeah, else. Because we, we drew El Salvador and we drew Canada and we play at Honduras, which hopefully will be a draw. So we'll come out with three points, which isn't the best, but isn't the worst. Okay. Until Jeff Collins comes in with the steel chair. Oh, no. Uh, you know, between him and Greg and Berhalter, I don't know who's <laughs> All right. Well, 
now we're into soccer. I don't know nearly as much about that. So uh, we're going to wrap it up for the night. Um, to our listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. Y'all have a good rest of your week, and I hope the uh, college football season is treating you better than it's treating us. Good night, everybody.